Everything that we do is uh, done in Jesus' name. People think, oh, you give them food so you can pass out Bibles. Well, no, actually, you give them food because they're hungry. But the quality of your work is the platform of your witness. Join us now for First Person, a weekly conversation featuring the stories of people who have committed their lives to Christ. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this week we'll talk with Ken Isaacs of Samaritan's Purse. Ken will tell how God took his life digging water wells and turned it into leading humanitarian relief efforts for many around the world. When you visit us at firstpersoninterview.com, please take the time to view our upcoming schedule and the audio archive of past programs. In addition to the online archive, you can access First Person as a podcast through iTunes and through our app for smartphones and tablets. Our partner in telling these stories each week is the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC faithfully introduces people to Christ and disciples them in the Word, and I hope you'll take the time to learn more about FEBC and ways it proclaims the gospel in many lands through radio. You'll learn about it at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Well, as you'll learn today, Ken Isaacs thought digging wells was to be his life's call, but God had even bigger ideas for him. Ken is now the vice president of programs and government relations, overseeing all international relief projects for Samaritan's Purse. Listen now as Ken tells his story in his own words on first person. I'm a well driller. I drilled water wells for uh, 20 years. Um, my wife and I uh, were married. Uh, we were 18, 19 years old, and um, I got a job with her father who owned a well drilling business, and I liked well drilling, and um, I didn't uh, – just a young guy, you know, I, I wasn't putting a lot of thought or planning into my life, and I was just working, and I liked that kind of work, and in 1985 – I went with the North Carolina Baptist men to Togo, West Africa as a volunteer, paid my own way, and I stayed there for a month. And within about three hours of arriving in Lome, Togo, I realized that I felt totally at home Hmm. in a foreign country. This was my first trip ever overseas. The group of 20 or 30 that I, I came with, uh, there was chaos all around. And and some way or another, I just felt totally at peace and at home in the chaos. And I didn't see it as chaos. I saw it as opportunity. And during that month in uh, Togo, I began praying that, God, if you will open a door for me, I will go through it and to go into the world. And I... I Kept that prayer um, and prayed faithfully, uh, quite honestly, for 16 or 17 months. Hmm. Um, God, if you'll open a door, I'll go through it. But I was a well driller. I had two children. I was, you know, 34, 35 years old. And you were committed to Christ at this point, obviously, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I accepted Christ when I was 12, and I've got a pretty typical story. Of, in my teen years, I moved away from the Lord, and then uh, later in my 20s, I found out that uh, God still loved me. And um, uh, that he was still there for me and that what Jesus did for me on the cross uh, was not only eternal, it was good throughout my lifetime. Someone once told me that we put our yes on the table and let God put it on the map. That sounds like that was your prayer. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I 
I, I felt called to service with the Lord some way generally, and so I went to Togo, and it was there that I, I thought, you know, this is uh, something that God has for me. But it, it, it wasn't working or computing in my mind because the missionaries that I was with had, you know, a master's in theology and, you know, then they would have a, you know, a veterinarian degree or a medical doctor degree. I mean, highly educated guys. And I'm just a well driller. <laughs> and uh, so I, I prayed with an earnest heart that, God, if you will open a door, I will go through it. And I, I went to Togo in 1985, and I prayed that prayer through the summer of 86. And I didn't get an answer, and I figured that was God telling me no. No door opened. I mean, I'm, I'm not really even sure what I was expecting. I'm just a guy living in Boone, North Carolina, uh, drilling wells, and I'm just praying, God, if you'll open a door, I'll go overseas. But in, in the spring of 86, we had a drought here in the mountains, and we drilled quite a few wells, and we drilled a well for Franklin Graham, our company did. And my father-in-law um, sent me up there to uh, uh, meet Franklin um, and, you know, and to really to give the crew the next assignment. Franklin came outside, and I'm, he said this question everybody asks a well driller, do I have enough water? And I looked down and, you know, I talked to him about his well and some of the technical things about it. And I said, you know, yeah, your well is going to be great. You got a good well. And I was getting in my truck to leave. And I thought, you know, I'm going to give him a business card. And really, nobody really knew what Samaritan's Purse was then, except just a handful of people. But mm-hmm. it, it wasn't with the notoriety that people would know us now. And I went back and, and gave Franklin a card. And I had no idea I actually, I, at that time, I had not heard the name Samaritan's Purse, but I just gave him a card and I said, if something ever came up about water in Africa and I could help, call me. And I left. And in August of 1987, I got a phone call on a Saturday. He had kept that card. A church, a national church in Ethiopia, had an idea, had a need to uh, set up a well drilling program to provide water for people in the higher elevations um, in the in Ethiopia. And uh, they wrote a proposal in an equipment list to Franklin, and he didn't know what to do with it. And so he went to his assistant and he said, you know, I met that well driller <laughs> a year ago. Uh, look back and see if you can find his name. He was Dewey Wright's son-in-law. So uh, he <laughs> called me and asked me to come and talk to him, and I did. And um, by that time, I had stopped thinking and praying about going overseas. It, it, it just, you know, I had accepted that it was God had said no. And I was thinking about other things. And um, so Franklin laid this letter down in front of me. It had the equipment list. And he said, would this equipment do what they say it'll do? And, and I started saying, well, you know, I'm asking a lot of questions. And, and there wasn't any information there to answer the questions. And he said, well, let me see if I can get some answers to that. And so I came back a week later, and we had multiple meetings. And finally, we got in around October, November. And um, um, I said, you know, l- listen, this, this is not a big deal. Somebody just needs to go over there and talk to some well drillers and find out how deep the wells have been going, what kind of material they've been drilling through, how much overburden is there, what size pipe they use, do they case it all the way to the bottom, just some basic technical questions. 
And if you get the answer to those questions, you can make a program. And he said, would you be willing to go do that? And I said, well, I got to check where I work. I was working at that time. I'd left my father-in-law's company and I was working down in South Carolina, coming home on the weekends. And um, my company said, yeah, but we would be very supportive. So I went in uh, January of 1988 and did it. Well, now we would call an assessment. But I just went over there to, you know, find out some things and make some recommendations. And uh, when I came back in 88, uh, I, I had a letter and I gave it to Franklin with equipment list and I explained it to him. And he looked at me. He and I still remember this. And he just said, uh, Kenny, I don't think that it's a coincidence that you and I have been brought together. Not at all. <laughs> and um, uh, so here we are, you know, um, my wife and I and, and our two sons moved to Ethiopia in – uh, August of 88, and we stayed there until March of 91. And um, when that time was coming to an end, we had factored into the program a, a training period and a turnover period uh, to the national staff there working for the church. And Let me, let me stop you there, Ken. Your, yours is such an exciting story to me, and here's why. It's because, God, you know, many times people think, God can't use me. I'm just a well digger. God used what you knew to draw you into his kingdom work, didn't he? He did, and um, it, it has always humbled me to think that God took me, a nobody, and has allowed me to do things in the world that are absolutely incredible. It has been done in a way that I don't have any bragging rights. No. I, there's nothing to brag about except what Christ has done. We'll continue talking with Ken Isaacs and learn about the ministry of Samaritan's Purse next on First Person. This weekly program is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company. Together, we are committed to telling the stories of Christ at work in the nations of the world. FEBC broadcasts the gospel in nearly 50 of those countries, reaching people in over 100 languages, introducing them to God's love and discipling them through God's word. To learn more about FEBC and its broadcasts, please visit FirstPersonInterview.com and click the banner FEBC. That's FirstPersonInterview.com. My guest today on First Person is Ken Isaacs. Ken is Vice President of Programs and Government Relations for Samaritan's Purse. He's directed major relief operations around the world since 1991. Which tells me, Ken, that you have many, many stories to tell and many needs that need to be met in these places around the world. So let's let's talk about that. What is the scope of what Samaritan's Purse is doing? Today, uh, it would be accurate to say that we are involved all around the world. Uh, we have field offices probably in 18 or 20 countries. We've got an international staff uh, exceeding 5,000, 7,000. Uh, we work in many hot zones in the world. By that, I mean war front areas and areas of insecurity. And uh, we help refugees, uh, you know, in Greece. We're helping refugees, uh, you know, really throughout Europe to assimilate, and we're sharing Christ with them. Um, we're helping them when they land um, from Turkey right out of the Aegean Sea. Uh, we're working with the United Nations on that. Uh, we are feeding probably – one and a half to two million people a month in, um, uh, throughout uh, South Sudan and Congo and Liberia. And we've got uh, development programs going on in Vietnam and 
Cambodia and Myanmar and Bolivia. We've got a big footprint Mm. in the world. And all of this is being done in the name of Christ. Everything that we do is uh, done in Jesus' name. We want to see God get the honor and the glory for it. Uh, We don't um, hide who we are. We don't go where people don't want us to be. Um, and um, we're not obnoxious about preaching. A lot of times I think people think, oh, you give them food so you can pass out Bibles. Well, no, actually you give them food because they're hungry, but the quality of your work is the platform of your witness. And when you go to share Christ with um, hundreds of thousands of people, you need a pretty big platform to do that from. And um, so we, we think about that a lot. But we never deny who we follow. We never deny what we believe. And we're always ready to share Christ. And we're very intentional about developing ways to do that. So you were in places like Rwanda following the genocide in 94, earthquakes in China and Haiti. That, that's when you guys move in, right? Yeah. Uh, in, actually, in Rwanda, I was in Rwanda during the genocide in 1994. Mm. And uh, we were one of only three organizations that uh, was working in the country. And um, but we've been there, been in South Sudan, the earthquake in Haiti. You remember the big tsunami uh, that yes. happened in 2004? Yes, Banda I left, Aceh, yeah. Yep, in Banda Aceh. I left Samaritan's Purse uh, in August of 2004 and took a position with uh, the United States Agency for International Development. There's an office inside of that called the Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance. And that office coordinates all of the uh, U.S. government emergency responses. So I was directing that office when that tsunami hit mm. um, in, in Bandache and killed, you know, quarter million people. And it was just a horrible situation. But it was a, a, a fascinating experience and a, a, a tremendous opportunity to learn. And uh, we have uh, organizationally talking back and after 16 months, I realized I didn't like living in Washington or working for the government. <laughs> so I um, called Franklin and had a talk with him. And he said, well, if you want to, you know, Boone's your home, come back to Boone and come back to work. What are some of the logistics? I mean, this this has to be astounding the way you guys get things done. Well, you know, I'll give you an example. In Nepal, there was an earthquake in um, uh, April of 2015, about a year ago. And uh, then there was a second one in May, and we responded to that. So uh, Nepal, it's a landlocked country north of uh, India. Everything that we took in had to be airlifted in. We had to figure out how to form the air bridge. Where will the planes take off from? Where will they land? And uh, we set up a procurement center in uh, New Delhi, India. We put probably 50 people inside of um, uh, Nepal uh, very quickly And we started doing assessments, working with local officials. We were doing emergency medical. We were doing clean water, sanitation, food distribution, uh, what they call NFIs or non-food items, things like blankets and hygiene supplies that are all very crucial in the days following um, a disaster. But we were able to come in very quick and to organize all of this. We had nine charter flights of emergency supplies come in. And it, it takes a lot of planning but in a way, when the fire alarm goes off, uh, th- there is always an element of chaos to it. But you've got to be able to work through the chaos 
to make things happen. And so, you know, we have organized ourselves into teams. We train our teams. We're very serious about our uh, command and control capability back at headquarters and our uh, disaster assistance response team, our DART team that we send down into the mm-hmm. field. And our logistics team has to support all of that. And uh, so we, we have invested a lot. We've thought a lot. And every time that we have a deployment, Wayne, after the deployment, we have what we call an AAR, an after-action review, and everybody that was involved gets together in a room for however long it takes, and we have a structured conversation about what went good, what we learned, what we never want to repeat, and what we want to see get better. Boy, that's and, a terrific uh, process. It, it sounds yeah. uh, very thorough and, and very professional. I, I know you do a lot of speaking around the country, universities, and so on. I, you must run into a lot of people, young people who want to help. How do you uh, convey to them the reality of these situations and what is realistic to expect and what they can do? I do speak and I do run into uh, a lot of people that want to get involved. And I always encourage them initially to make sure that they're answering a call in their heart from God. And uh, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, a humanitarian responder. That's fine. But uh, I predominantly speak at at Christian universities, and uh, so speaking to a Christian group, you know, you think that they're trying to serve the Lord, and and I try to encourage that. But I think that it's also very important for them to have a realistic understanding of of what it means. And I find that a lot of young people today are uh, focused on issues of social justice and, and human rights. And, you know, I see all rights. I guess I'm a an older guy. But I see rights as coming from God, not from governments. In any time that a government so is, gives a right, let's say that it was you know, decreed by law that everybody has a right to clean water or everybody has a right to a house, well, who's going to pay for that? How, you know, rights come from God. And so I, I try to take them through, uh, and that is really a dose of reality that they will encounter in the third world. It doesn't matter what it says on paper. What matters is what people are expected and allowed to do based on the rights given to them by God. Mm. You know, sadly, clean water is not a human right. It is something that we all want to aspire to see people to get, but it's not a right. It's not guaranteed anywhere, and you have to work for it. And so there's some of those kind of cultural adjustments that I encourage folks in, but I love talking to energetic college students that want to go serve the Lord. I love sharing stories with them and ideas and hearing their thoughts. And uh, we have quite an internship program at Samaritan's Purse. We send out probably 70 or 80 interns a year out of like 12 or 1,500 applications that we get. But they get a wonderful experience. And um, we feel like that investing in young people like that is a great thing to do. And quite a few of those people actually come back and join our team. Hmm. Ken, I know the situation is constantly changing around the world, and you are actively involved right now in some relief efforts aimed at uh, helping refugees and internally displaced people. I'm particularly concerned with what's going on in Ukraine. I know you are as well. But what uh, what are some of the hot spots that we could be helping with and praying about? Well, I, I think certainly Ukraine is an area that needs our prayers. Uh, you know, we look around the world and you see so much instability, and that instability is growing, Wayne. It's not getting smaller. It's getting worse. Uh, Syria is a, a very, very serious situation that's going on. That war has been going on five years. And after five years, 
I'm ashamed to say that our country doesn't even have a stated strategy and mm. what to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, American leadership is uh, important in the world. Leadership is important in anything that you do. And uh, so we're, we're seeing the war in Syria is now drawing Turkey more into it. You've got Jordan involved. Egypt is involved. Russia is involved. And uh, you've got the United States is involved. You've got the Kurds involved. You've got the French involved. The British are involved. And it sort of sounds like prophecy, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. And uh, uh, But, you know, that area of the world uh, needs prayer. Uh, I've been in Greece a number of times on the islands where Samaritan's Purse has uh, a couple of hundred staff working. And, you know, we are not promoting, we don't create the policies for migration and refugees, but our role is to be the hands and feet of Christ. And people come out of the Aegean Sea, their babies are blue, they're scared. Um, And yes, they're Muslims. Uh, Yes, they have run from a country with a war. And we're just there to help them and and to help them get warm, to feed them, uh, to give them medical care, to do whatever we can do for them in the brief time that they would be there until they move on up into Europe. But, you know, these people are coming from Afghanistan. They're coming from Iraq. They're coming from Iran. They're coming from Bangladesh. They're coming from Eritrea. Uh, we're finding that, uh, you know, when, we, when I think about things around the world, the persecution of Christians today is horrendous. And there's so little, I feel like, that is said about that. But uh, you, you look at what ISIS has done in uh, Syria uh, the way that they have kidnapped and murdered Christians and enslaved them. Uh, and it's in, you know, I think of Nigeria, uh, many, many different countries in Niger, Central African Republic, and many different countries. And uh, I just would like to see the gospel go forward as much as it could, but recognizing that we live in turbulent times, not just people shooting at each other, People are worried about global markets crashing. Uh, People are worried about terrorism. Uh, We have insecurity in the U.S. about our political process. And and, um, in all of my uh, 63 years, uh, you know, I was blessed to um, uh, be a baby boomer in that uh, it saw the greatest period of uh, global security and affluency of any generation in the world. And that's changing now. And I think that, you know, we have to come to terms with that's going away. But nothing surprises God. And I believe that God is bringing people out of closed areas of the world for a reason. I think that Jesus Christ died for Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, just like he did for the Jews and the Gentiles and for everyone. And I think that as Christians, we have a responsibility to show the love of Christ, and to tell the plan of salvation. That's Ken Isaacs of Samaritan's Purse, and you'll want to learn more about Samaritan's Purse and their work around the world. We'll put additional links at firstpersoninterview.com. Again, firstpersoninterview.com. Also on the website, you can listen to any past interview on our program archive. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com. This program is produced with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, which has been in business since 1945, proclaiming Christ to the world. Today, FEBC's programs are heard on AM and FM stations worldwide, as well as by shortwave, satellite, and the Internet, always broadcasting in local languages 
FEBC last year heard from over 2 million listeners who responded to the gospel. Learn more at firstpersoninterview.com. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.